Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. Uh, talking's over, man. It's just uh, it's time for football, and we'll keep we'll parse through the games any angle we can get. But I, I've struggled to find out other ways where we can do that. Well, I mean, what what does Spurrier call it? Talking season? That's over. You know, it, it's it's now season season. It's football season. So yeah, well, I mean, we'll find stuff to talk about. We've got some some good stuff coming up today, specifically about talking about attendance for this first game and and. There's still some some angles left to cover, I guess. Maybe some just some minute details here and there, but yeah, for the most part, you know, the the hay is in the barn, as, as you might say. Going to the cliche early, the hay is in the barn. I love the hay is in the barn as a cliche. That's a great Do you? cliche. Oh yeah, big time. Why would you put hay in a barn, by the way? To keep it out of the rain. Wet hay is not as good as dry hay. <laughs> no. Okay. No, it's not. <laughs> I mean, do you eat your food good and soggy? I eat cereal pretty soggy. It's a cow. What does it know? Or horse, whatever. It doesn't mean it doesn't have taste buds. Well, and you also well, have multi-uses for own, hay. Some of those things eat their own poop. Don't tell me they have a palate. <laughs> I don't think cows are known for eating patties. Never seen Yellowstone. <laughs> I, yes, you're right. I have not. It is on my list of things to see, but... Um, no, it, it, wet hay, a big old wet hay bale, mold and mildew and grossness and no good. Was the cow going to give you two stars on Yelp? I don't understand. Porky, <laughs> what do we do with him? He's unbelievable, man. I don't know, hey, Dad, this might be more in your wheelhouse to uh, educate young, uh, young, young Dr. Rippy. I'll, even though I went to the agricultural school, I'm not I'm not up to date on that kind of stuff. So I have some friends that though maybe could explain that to them a little bit better. Like, I do not understand a lot of those sayings. Like I get the general premise behind it. Like the most of the work is done, but like if you actually take the terms literally, I don't understand a lot of them. What other ones? Um, it's one of those things where I can't think of it off the top of my head. But if you said some dumb cliche, I could probably point out the flaws in it. Biggest improvement happening between week one and week two? I don't get that at all. I don't even actually understand the the like overall premise of that. It, that well, feels but, to me like it's a coach after his team looked bad trying to get his fans to get off his back for another week. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. C Spire text line is open, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. Four three nine five. Glad to have you along. Um, let's see here. Let's see. Let's just walk through these. Amanda in Pike County. I can't believe you, Rippy. Philip in Starkville. Wet hay molds and spoils. Another response. Molded hay will kill a horse. One just went with OMG. Jerry and Brookhaven, advice, do not take out a 90-day loan at this time. It will come due before you can blink. What? Now it all makes sense. <laughs> it seems like a bit of a non-sequitur, Jerry, but uh, thanks for the tip. Uh, Mike in Grand Bay says, wet hay rots. Okay, Rippy get... eats economy beef for sure. I don't know what that means. I do love a Big Mac. Um, 
wet hay will mold and get cows and horses sick. I, I got die. it now, but I don't understand why that's something I'm supposed to know. Anyway, you know, learn something new every day. You so. you don't understand the idea of a big compacted bile, uh, pile of hay that gets wet and that doesn't have the ability to dry from the. Inside? I would equate that to like some college kid eating chips that he knows are stale because he's hungry. Like it didn't seem like that big of a deal. Yeah, not not quite the same thing. Okay. Um, uh, fewer things more satisfying than a filled hay barn. It means cows eat throughout the winter. Good lord, people are all over me. I got two tweets that said makes cows sick. Yeah, keeps there, hay from molding. There you go. Got a lot of uh, farmers in this state, man. Indeed. Uh, when's the last time you hauled hay, Rippy? <laughs> the next time would be the first time. Well, then you missed out on one of life's great joys. Sounds like it. Uh. Uh, you know, when it's about 104 outside and the uh, heat index is uh, even more and you're hauling it and stacking it and itch. Oh, gosh, do you itch. Is that the worst job you've ever had? I've thrown out pond straw. That kind of sucks, too. Is that similar at all? Uh, yeah, a little. A little similar. That wasn't fun. No, not fun. Worst job I've ever had, Borky. Um... I don't know. I don't really equate like outdoors jobs as bad jobs because I like being outside so much. I hear you. Tusk Tusk also says wet hay is combustible in a barn. Huh. What? You would think it would be the opposite, right? You would. How about that? You would think that dry hay would make a barn kind of like a tinderbox, but uh, Tusk, I'm going to to trust you on that. Uh, In fact, Amanda... Uh, says, believe it or not, a wet hay bale drying will catch fire in the summer. Uh, then there was uh, David and Socher says he went to JA. They don't have FFA there. What's FFA? Future Farmers of America. Yeah, I did not take that class, or if I did, I slept through it. Yeah. Uh, worst yellow jacket stinging I ever experienced was hauling hay. That's from Louie. And. Ooh, I- uh, when I was a kid, I got one stuck on the inner part of my leg in some mesh shorts. A nest, not a yellow jacket. A nest? Yeah. How was, many stings? Uh, upwards of 10. It was pretty brutal. Ooh. E. Yeah. I was playing basketball, and I think I was getting a ball out of a bush, and it was. Uh, it did not end well for me down there. Lisa and Clara says that she learned the hard way to wear gloves while hauling hay. Um, Mike says that uh, mold builds up heat and therefore causes the uh, fire potential. So, uh, if nobody else learned anything, at least Rippy has learned something. I learned a lot. With uh, with you this morning. Glad to uh, have you. Uh, one more. Uh, these tweets are coming in hot and heavy. Jacob in Columbus, stacking square bales when ants are in them. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Ugh. Rippy, one of my <laughs> dedicated Twitter followers, runs a dairy farm. You want me to set up a day for you to go out there and work with him? Oh, that would be so much maybe. fun. We need to send him to the dairy farm. He's asked me to come out there and day. work, and I have uh, I have always declined because I see his videos. <laughs> I do it for a day. If he'd let he me write about it. Oh, he'd let you write about it for sure. Sure. All right, we're going. Oh, um, I'm, I'm making that happen as we speak. Sounds, in sounds the, like some summer content. In yes, the sir. early days of this radio show, years and years ago, there was a uh, there was a bet that was tied to the egg bowl. And I lost. I guess I should say Ole Miss lost, and therefore I lost the bet. And uh, my payoff was to uh, go to Starkville, to the uh, to the dairy barn, and milk a cow. And I did so 
Uh, just to completely play up the stereotype, I did so in a seersucker suit. Attaboy. <laughs> and it was it was glorious. Are there pictures? Hey, Please tell you, me. Like, yeah, there are pictures. Like, I'll have to oh, dig man. them up. And, did you like yeah, grab, yeah, I want to see those. grab the udder with a pocket square, or did you just bare hand it? <laughs> no, I didn't have a pocket. I don't think it was wearing a pocket square. I just went straight for the teat with a bare hand. Got a good stream going. Uh, Took a big old swig of that warm milk fresh out of the cow. Mm. Uh, oh, you actually really? Absolutely, I did. Ugh. And then was uh, treated to uh, some of Mississippi State's uh, fantastic ice cream. Well, that sounds oh, that better is than good. Warm swig than ugh. yeah. There's a whole uh, cooler full of it in the press box now. You can get all you want. There you go. Next off-site radio broadcast farm. Would love to do a show from a farm one day. Uh, I can set that up if uh, when the uh, cotton harvest is happening, cotton picking is happening. We can uh, we can certainly go do a show from a farm one day. That tractor place was pretty cool. I just started working here. Divinity. That's right. That's right, Divinity. Yeah. And I uh, think maybe later in the fall we'll be back there. Nice. So it, anyway, uh, a whole lot more coming up with you, uh, sports related. So stick to sports, guy. Just tap the brakes. We're coming at you strong when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi will preview Ole Miss and Memphis up next in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along on this Wednesday afternoon, middle of the week, just a few days away from the first full Saturday of the college football season. All guests on Sports Talk appear on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. And on the Farm Bureau phone line right now, Jonah Jordan. He covers Memphis Tigers football for the Daily Memphian. You can follow him on Twitter at underscore... Jonah Jordan. All right, Jonah, starting things off, most important question I'll ask you, apropos of nothing, what's the worst job you've ever had? The worst job I've ever had? Ooh, yeah. Burger. I work at Backyard Burger, a uh, local, I don't know if it's local, actually, I'm a southern um, restaurant or fast food oh, burger yeah. chain. Yeah. Restaurant. yeah. Yeah, that was terrible. Were you on the line in the kitchen, or were you like a uh, front-facing person? Oh, I did. I did everything. I was, um, I was in the front. I ran the drive-through. I did the sandwiches. I did a little bit of everything except for the grill. They didn't think I was. Uh, I, they didn't think I was grill material. <laughs> if, um, but yeah, it was the worst. It was the worst thing I've ever done. If you work in the window at a drive-through, are you less likely to use the drive-through later in life? Are there things that you learn that make you not want to do that, or we're all good? Uh, no. I mean, it would make me less likely to eat a backyard burger. But, no, I think it just gives me a greater appreciation for when people are taking a long time or when things aren't going right or when people get my order wrong. Like, I think I think that's the biggest thing because now I know what they're going through back there. I know it's hot. They're doing 87,000 things at once. Getting somebody's order isn't always the easiest thing in the world because people don't talk into the speaker or whatever. So I think it just gave me a greater appreciation for the job that people are doing. For the record, the bacon cheeseburger at uh, Backyard Burger, that was always my go-to. It's pretty good. Pretty good burger. Yeah, I've had about a 1,000 of those. I can't do it anymore. <laughs> yeah, I can understand that as well. All right, um, on a slightly more serious topic, or I don't know, it's college football. Maybe it's not that much more serious. Is Memphis looking at this as a big game 
to start oh, the yeah. season. And, and, and I ask that because I think Ole Miss is looking at this, regardless of how it's viewed, whether or not it's a rivalry or not. I mean, take all that and throw it out. But because of everything that Ole Miss has been through in the last couple of years, it feels like a really big game right out of the gate. Yeah, I mean, it kind of sets the tone for both for both teams, right? I mean, I know Ole Miss fans are talking about a six, seven-win season. I don't know. Maybe the Memphis game is a big part of that. They've got a tough schedule. I mean, you play in the SEC West, man. That's a pretty difficult proposition right off the rip. And you're kind of taking all that. you got to take what you can get. And Memphis is a big game for them. I know it is for Ole Miss fans. And for Memphis fans, you're trying to go undefeated. You're trying to go 10-2, and 11-1. And... One, and have a most impressive schedule that you can or most impressive resume that you can for when it comes time for a New Year's Six Bowl because I mean I think people will admit now after what we've seen with UCF that the best you can do is a New Year's Six Bowl as a non-Power 5 school so this is where they're at you got you got to win this game if you want to end up in the Cotton Bowl Jonah, I think I heard somebody say that Patrick Taylor got the same draft grade as Tony Pollard, so he very well could have made the the transition to the NFL. Why did he decide to come back? Okay, that's not correct. correct. I've heard he got a better draft grade than Tony Pollard. Um, (laughs) Well, in that case, so why did he come back? uh, He needed to work on his pass blocking. I think he knew that. I think he needed to work on his pass blocking, his blitz pickup, his ability to catch the football um and i think tony pollard kind of went higher than people expected he went higher than his grade so it's not i think tony had a fifth round grade and i think taylor had a fourth round grade i think that's correct um either way they were both somewhere in there uh patrick decided to come back because he's going to be the guy he's the guy this year he has a chance to be a i think to be a second round draft pick He's a big running back, violent running back, very smart guy who makes I mean, like who makes all the right decisions on the football field. I think he's only fumbled once or twice in his Memphis career. He's rushed for a thousand yards. He has a chance to do something that Daryl Henderson didn't even do last year. He could set even more records here at Memphis. Um, I mean he he's gonna get twenty two, twenty three carries a game. The the rushing yard numbers, you know, combined from Henderson and Taylor and Pollard a year ago off the charts. How much of that was a credit to the offensive line that Memphis had a year ago? And with the departures up front, can it be a comparable rushing offense this season? Well, I mean, the offensive line didn't hurt. I mean, that's for sure. I mean, I don't know how much it had to do with Daryl because, in all honesty, all Daryl had to do was get in the second level of the defense and against some of the opponents they were playing. He was gone. He was too fast to catch. He was too strong for guys um, out in the secondary who were trying to arm tackle him. So as long as they got him there, he was fine. With Patrick, it was a little bit different because he's a guy who's going to try and just bowl over everyone. Um, he's not the fastest guy on the field, but he is the strongest. Um, but, yeah, the offensive line was great. I mean, it was probably one of the best in the country. I mean, uh they're very talented running backs that were complemented by an amazing offensive line, and I think they just gelled perfectly at the perfect time that that was the best thing to Memphis to do because they made such a good combination. It was such a smart thing to pivot to because they didn't start rushing like that at the beginning of the season. They didn't start that way. They they started trying to do what they did with Riley Ferguson where they were going to throw the ball around the field, that DeMonte Coxie was going to play that Anthony Miller-type role, and it just didn't work. And I think it ended up culminating in – Patrick Taylor had like two rushes in the in the that big loss to Tulane that Memphis suffered that kind of changed the complexion and changed the direction of their season that ended up in them realizing, hey, we just need to pound the ball. We have this offensive line that's great. We have these two running backs 
that are fantastic, and that kind of is where it started. And I don't, I don't know what the offensive line is going to look like this season. If you told me, hey, this offensive line is going to be an elite run blocking uh, offensive line, but struggle in pass protection, I would believe you because that's where I think they're going to be. Jonah Jordan on your radio. He writes at the uh, Daily Memphian. You can follow him on Twitter at underscore Jonah Jordan. If you had to say key to the game in, in both directions, you were looking at it from the Memphis perspective and said, okay, the, the key for Memphis if they're going to win this game is, and if Memphis is going to lose the game, if Ole Miss were to win the game, the key for them will be, what would you, what would you zero in on? I think Memphis has to turn over Matt Corral. I think that if you okay. force him to start throwing the ball, that's better for everyone, better for Memphis. It's the more he throws the ball and the more you force the redshirt freshman to make plays, um, I think that's the best. The, like, I don't mean to dog the kid, but give a 280-pound left tackle and Michael Howard, who's played 11 snaps, uh, get after Like, they're going to get True after him. Like, that's just the reality of the situation. It's like, the more he drops back, the more you can take advantage of that. If they're pounding the ball with – Scotty Phillips, if they, he has like 250 rushing yards, that's probably how Ole Miss wins the game. If Scotty Phillips and Snoop Connor and Jerry Neely are dominating the game, dominating the pace, if they're keeping the ball out of Memphis's offensive hand, Memphis's offensive hands, and Matt Corral only has to throw 15 times, and he can do a little play action, he can take advantage of corners cheating up because the run defense or the running backs are running all over the field. I think that's how Ole Miss wins. Well, that's an interesting note about Scotty Phillips. He didn't go for 250, but he did go for 200 in the season opener a year ago against Texas Tech and what a lot of people thought was going to be kind of a shootout back and forth. When you look at this and have kind of studied, does it have the feeling of a game that has kind of one of those shootout, high-scoring feels to it, or do you think it plays out differently than that? I don't know, in all honesty, because if I'm Ole Miss, I'm not trying to get in a shootout with Memphis because that's where Memphis has thrived. When people are like, oh, okay, we're just going to throw it with Memphis, they've, they've won a majority of those games. I mean, if you go back two years ago, Houston went up 17-0 to on Memphis at halftime and then came out and was like, okay, we're still going to do this. We're still going to do a shootout. We're not going to slow the pace down. We're not going to grind it to a halt. We're not going to hold the ball. Memphis came back and won that game. If you're going toe-to-toe with Mike Norvell, if you're going toe-to-toe with the scheme, if you're trying to run with him, I don't think you're going to have – that much success, but it's a little bit different now that this is an SEC team. They have SEC talent. They have SEC depth. They don't have the depth on the offensive line, but they do on defense a little bit. They're kind of starting to build that back up. Um, I know the sanctions kind of took a hit in several areas, but they're still recruiting well. They've still got a lot of talent over the field. So I don't know. I, I think if you get in a shootout, it's going to be tough for you to win against Mike Norvell and the Tigers because they're, they're much more – Adept. They're much more experienced. They've done shootouts about a thousand times. I mean, they're they're they've been there. All these guys know what it looks like. Jonah, are you on the record with having made a prediction? Have you done that yet for this game? On a certain podcast, I believe. Oh, hey, yeah. I don't even remember what it was there. To be honest, <laughs> that was Rippy chiming in. Thirty-eight twenty-eight Memphis. That's what I've been rolling right. with. I think that Ole Miss probably goes down a little bit early and has having to climb back into it a little bit. And I just don't think Matt Corral can do that yet in his career. I think he's probably going to be forced into some mistakes. Memphis' defensive line is really going to get after Ole Miss's offensive line, especially if Alex Graves doesn't end up playing, which I've heard he's kind of been limited in practice. But he is there out of practice, but I don't know how much he's yeah. going to play. So it just depends. Like 
if that Ole Miss offensive line breaks down in the first two drives and Memphis gets up early, it could be a rough day for Ole Miss. John, I really appreciate your time. I think about you next time I go to Backyard Burger. (laughs) All right. Thank you all for having me. Y'all have a nice day. That's Jonah Jordan on the Farm Bureau phone line. We're back after this. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Wednesday afternoon. Appreciate Jonah Jordan joining us from the uh, Daily Memphians. Some insight onto this Memphis football team. Said that he thinks that uh, Memphis has a chance to jump out to a a fast start. And his belief was that they're going to be able to put some pressure on and force Matt Corral into some bad situations and anticipates the red shirt freshman making mistakes. Which is not a crazy... It's his first career college start. It is. On the I mean, road, the people... it will be a hostile environment. Right. And... Or will it? But he, he showed enough... Yeah, I, th- uh, I think it'll be a pretty good crowd. 40,000? Well, how many does that place hold? 60. I think more. Um, Maybe you know, more, pretty, but not what you saw in 2015. No, and I asked Jonah that on Monday's podcast. Like He's like, not quite, but they still view it as a big game. People are excited about it, and I have a really good track record with crowd estimations. So. Yeah, you do. No, you don't. No, you don't. There was a story that uh, floated earlier this week. I think it was the one that Jeff Calkins wrote. Uh, his premise was uh, Ole Miss fans don't really care right now uh, Ole Miss, as a university, requested only about 3,000 tickets, and that's all the more reason that Memphis should kick them while they're down. That was the column. I would disagree slightly in the sense that they don't really care. They're probably hesitant to buy back in, and wouldn't the 3,000 tickets be more along the lines that, I don't know, the Liberty Bowl's a hellhole? <laughs> Well, there's a couple of things at play with that. One, I, I've got a group of buddies. There's eight of them. Not a single person bought tickets through Ole Miss. Because they get put in a corner and stuff, and they got better seats for cheaper. Uh, so that's part of it. But, it, yeah, there's hesitancy. But uh, let's say they beat Memphis. They do it by two touchdowns, just just for fun. 64,000 people are in the stadium next weekend against Arkansas. It's not the lack of care, it's the hesitancy. But if they go and beat Memphis, then everybody's bought back in and they fill up the stadium one week from Saturday. Yeah, and I mean, it feels like people are looking for a reason to buy in, but they haven't gotten it yet. And going to an 11 a.m. kickoff when it's going to be 92 degrees with the heat index nearly 100 and the field temperature of about 120, there are a lot of people that aren't super fired up about that in a relatively bad neighborhood at a relatively bad football stadium against the team that a lot of people don't care about playing anymore. I mean, all of those things factor in. Now, the other part of that is all those are excuses. I, I would say this, uh, and, and hey, Dad, I think you would agree with this, regardless of whether you're talking about Ole Miss Memphis or some opponent who is hosting Mississippi State, the onus to fill a stadium is on the home team, not the visiting team. 100%. Like, 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 like it's not Arkansas's job to fill up Vaught-Hemingway in Week 2. That's Ole Miss's job. Now, can, can an opposing team help? Yeah. And traditionally, Ole Miss or Mississippi State, when they've gone there, has traveled exceptionally well to Memphis. But people are tired of going to games there. And 
when you couple that with the fact that you've had the two years or three years previously that Ole Miss has had, there are not a lot of people that are fired up about making the trip. So earlier this week, we learned Ole Miss had only sold about 3,000 tickets through the school for the game. Beyond that, tarps have put in uh, been put in in the stadium to cover up empty sections at the Liberty Bowl, and Memphis has sold about 20,000 season tickets. It'll be a big walk-up crowd for the game. There always is. But attendance at the Liberty Bowl for a third consecutive season declined the last year. Their paid average attendance was 30,178. They had 12,000 actual people at one of their games late in the season a year ago. I was told earlier. Now, let's let, let's switch from Ole Miss Memphis to Mississippi State Louisiana. Upper deck in the Superdome is going to be closed, which means you've got 100 level, 200 level, 300 levels that will be open. Louisiana Lafayette was given charge of 40,975 tickets, and as of Monday, their athletics director, Nico Yantko, I'm sorry, that's the deputy director of athletics, said that total tickets distributed to this point was floating just north of 14,000. That number surprises me a little bit, hey, Dad. This is one of those where it feels like Mississippi State might take that many people. You would think that. And, and of course, it's sort of what you just said. The secondary market sort of is what it is. And I think there will be a big walk-up crowd because I've talked to a lot of people and people are on social media saying they're coming. Excuse me. But, yeah, 14,000. This whole setup that I guess you're about to get into, it, it just feels like it was a bad idea by, by Louisiana. And, and maybe they, they – I don't know that they, there was another way. I don't know that State would have agreed to come to Lafayette, but they're, they're in some trouble here from what I'm reading. Neutral site game, 40,975 tickets given to UL, and they are responsible for ticket distribution and sales. The revenue split, so net revenue, not gross revenue, but net revenue, the profit from ticket sales will be distributed – between UL and Mississippi State, 57% of the net revenue will go to Louisiana Lafayette. 43% goes to Mississippi State. But they've only sold 14,000 tickets. Yeah. 14 of the 40? Yes. Uh, that doesn't seem good. No, it doesn't. I thought you meant there were 14,000 left. No. As of no. Monday afternoon, ticket sales for Saturday's 11 a.m. kickoff were, quote, floating just north of 14,000 tickets, that's in totality. Not quite a sellout by my math. Close quote. No. And then, I mean, that and having to pay for the cost of the Superdome, Yeah, they're, they're going to lose money on a home game from what it looks like here. Uh, maybe. I hadn't done the math to figure out and certainly don't know what the face value of the tickets are. I can find out for you. Hold on one second. Yeah, I mean, if you say fifty bucks a ticket at fourteen thousand tickets out, that's what two hundred and eighty thousand dollars, or is that too? Is that right? But they've got to yeah. pay the Superdome. That's the point. They have to cover. No, all... no, I understand. What you would you would think would be at least a hundred thousand dollars, at least to open it up and to get security in there and have all the people that you got to have to run it. I would think it would be so, much more than that, just, just off the top of my head, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I, you're probably right. So, 
I don't think I did a very good job on the math there. Fourteen thousand times fifty bucks—that's seven hundred thousand. It's not—it's not, it's not so, math talk, Mississippi. Don't worry. Yes, that's a—that's uh, a good thing. Is this going to be the case all over the country when we look? Okay, outside of Utah BYU on Thursday night, Georgia Tech at Clemson on Thursday night because that's a conference game. Um, Georgia, the the Mercedes Benz Stadium. It's not going to be full in Atlanta for Alabama Duke. It's going to be a great crowd, but it's not going to be full. My guess is that uh, what is it, Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte, where North Carolina and South Carolina are playing? It won't be full. Not anywhere close. Is that game Thursday or Saturday? Saturday. Uh-huh. Are, are we going to look around the country this weekend and see empty seats pretty much everywhere? Another neutral site game that's going to get moved up, by the way, but if it stayed on Saturday, Florida State-Boise State would not even come anywhere close to filling up that stadium either. Where's, so are they, are they going to now move that game to Friday because of uh, Dorian? Those are the rumblings out there. Nothing confirmed, though. Gotcha. Hurricane Dorian. It's got all the, uh, the weather people in a tizzy. First major hurricane looking like it's going to make landfall, and it is growing and uh, becoming more intense. The models right now, I've got it hitting kind of the central east coast of Florida, making landfall sometime around Saturday morning, I think was the projection that I saw most recently. And if you wonder what that means for us in Mississippi, we don't know yet because there are no real accurate projections as to whether or not when Dorian makes landfall, it's going to turn north and kind of work its way up through Georgia and the Carolinas or if it's just going to go straight across the state of Florida, jump back out into the New Mexico or the uh, the Gulf of Mexico, which is like a uh, big old tub of warm bath water, re-strengthen and then make landfall again. Don't want to put hay in there. <laughs> uh, no. I knew that joke was coming. I, I could sense it. You, you saw it from a mile away, didn't you? I did. I did. Why do you want to look but at some, things a mile away? I don't. I don't but, get it. You know, supposedly it's supposed to be. 75 and sunny for the Ole Miss-Memphis game. That really held weight. Yeah. I think it was like 81 and sunny, but no. Yeah. 95 now. Yeah, yeah, we're up to, what, 92, 3, 4, somewhere in there? Who could have guessed? Yeah. Well, at least it was 70 and sunny for opening day of the college baseball season back in February. It was. Always good to uh, to get that. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. So, you either watch games on TV on Saturday or you can go to the games. Good seats still available in uh, pretty much every venue in the uh, in the country. I bet they have a hard sellout in Provo, though, on Thursday night for the Holy War. And I'm geeked up about that game tomorrow night. At BYU? 9-15 kick tomorrow night at BYU. It's not like Provo's a long way from Salt Lake City, either. Lay it on the Caffeine. Utes, buddy. They're going to dominate that one. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Pretty big news today that could theoretically impact the landscape of the SEC and maybe the SEC West. Now, I don't want to go too far down that road because Alabama's roster has got a lot of good players on it. But arguably the best player on the team, and if you want to tell me Tua, that's fine. I'll, I'll cede you that point. But the best player on the defensive side of the ball for Alabama out for the rest of the year, or for the entire season. Dylan Moses, 
preseason first-team All-SEC linebacker, preseason All-American linebacker for Alabama. Knee injury in practice yesterday. Uh, it was first reported by Aaron Suttles this morning that he had had a serious injury and was likely to miss a lot of time. was confirmed today by Nick Saban on the SEC teleconference that indeed Moses was hurt and will likely miss the entire year. He simply said uh, Moses will need surgery on the knee and will be out indefinitely. Nick Saban was quoted uh, more in-depth by saying, certainly this is a character check for our team, and we're going to do everything to support Dylan and the people that have the opportunity now to fill in for Dylan. If you go back a little bit, Nick Saban pointed to them being thin at linebacker. You remember earlier in camp, they lost senior inside linebacker Joshua McMillan, likely for the entire season, also with a knee injury. Nick Saban then said, we can't afford to lose a lot of guys on defense, especially linebacker. We haven't been able to stay healthy there the last few seasons, and that's limited some of what we've been able to do on defense. We've got good players, but a lot of young ones, too. The maturity level, knowledge, confidence, and experience, it's going to be a little bit of a work in progress to get it where we need it to be. Shane Lee, a true freshman, is expected to start in place of Dylan Moses at middle linebacker. How much could that change Alabama's defense? It's the cursed position there. Well, and and forgive me for jumping on the cliche train, but Dylan Moses was the quarterback of the defense. He was the middle linebacker who was going to be the signal caller for that Alabama defense, and now you're replacing him with a true freshman. And he's not their only linebacker that's out for the season either. Uh, So that position now is is strikingly thin, and uh, the defensive line, although it's filled with four and five stars, is still kind of thin, at least from an experience standpoint. And it's not going to affect them in 11 of their 12 regular season games, most likely. But it changes the way you look at maybe when they play LSU. It changes the way you look at them when the SEC championship comes. It changes the way if they make the playoff because missing a guy like that, no matter who you are, will have an impact on your team. And when the margin for error, when you play a Georgia, when you play an LSU who is talented enough to compete with Alabama, whether or not they actually do it doesn't matter. They're talented enough to do it. When you get to the playoff and you're up against an Ohio State and a Clemson who has talent that is comparable to yours, that does matter. And so I saw some dismissal of that today on Twitter and stuff where, oh, it's Alabama. They'll just have another five-star and they'll be fine. This dude's different. This means something more than just, oh, it's Alabama and they'll replace him. I'm thinking about who in the SEC has got a running back that scares you. And I know when you're talking about inside linebacker, that, you know, there's lots more to stopping the run than just the linebacker position. But this is not a year where the league is just full of running backs where you go, wow, man, that guy. I mean, Larry Roundtree at Missouri, really, really good. Alabama doesn't play Missouri. And the best one um, in the league they wouldn't play until the SEC championship game. You're right. Keyshawn, uh, Keyshawn Vaughn from Vanderbilt. Not worried about that one. Sorry. Scotty, Scotty Phillips from Ole Miss. Yeah. There's not enough there. He's still got to play the game, but there's not enough there. Kylan Hill from Mississippi State. Okay, maybe. Maybe. 
Um, but there aren't just a bunch of guys. I mean, Booby Whitlow for Auburn, is he going to be healthy after 12 games? Maybe so. Maybe that's one that scares you a little bit. I'm going to be a little interested to see Texas A&M's running game this year because A&M's so good a year ago with Travion Williams. Just monster numbers for him. Let's see, he ended up rushing for, what was it, 1,400 yards last season? No, 1,760 yards. And so is Jay Sean Corbin, who was the backup a year ago, going to be able to slide into that spot and have that kind of production? We'll see. That's a team that could potentially scare Alabama, and that's a road game. But guess what? You're going to have to score a lot to beat Alabama. Which feels different than in years past, right? Because in the past it was Alabama's so good defensively they don't have to score a lot. That was pre-Tua, pre-Jerry Judy, pre-all those other dudes in the receiving core. Not to mention they still run the ball pretty well. So big news. We'll see what it means as the season unfolds. Dylan Moses out for the year for Alabama at middle linebacker. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Wednesday afternoon. Glad to have you along. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. You can find them online at mslandbank.com. They've got branch locations all across North Mississippi. The corporate headquarters is in Cenotopia. That's also a branch location, but you can also stop by the offices in Clarksdale, Cleveland, Indianola, Corinth, Tupelo, New Albany, Starkville, Kosciuszko, and Louisville. If you've got land financing or refinancing needs of any kind, said more simply, if you have money needs as it pertains to the land or anything, excuse me, anything that goes with the maintenance of the land, then Mississippi Land Bank can help. They have been financing and refinancing land for over 100 years. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. We have been counting you down from 100. We are two days away from one. Today, team number three on the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days. This day is bananas. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. This day is bananas. 100 teams in 100 days. Okay, ready? Three, two, one. Big Ten country today, the trademark, Ohio State University. What is it you say, Borky? The all-brass band from the Ohio State University? They are all brass. There's no flute, none of that stuff. Exclusively brass. They call themselves the best damn band in the land, the Ohio State Marching Band. 13-1 and one last year. The one was um, to Purdue. Yeah, that was that incredible it night close. With, with Tyler Trent. Remember that whole, the whole story and game day and all of that stuff? 
Oh, absolutely. That was a close game for a bit, too, and then the last like eight minutes it just com- went completely off the rails, if I remember correctly. 49-20, to 20, and really two years in a row, Ohio State has cost themselves a playoff berth by a somewhat inexplicable loss. The problem was not, though, in both cases, they lost. It's that they lost by 30. They lost 49-20 to Purdue. And the year before, they lost 55-24 at Iowa. Going to a place where the school's colors are some variation of black and gold or yellow, and they do really cool stuff for really sick kids, has been a bad combination for Ohio State for the last couple of years. You get all the emotion of a night game in Iowa City, with the waving to the kids at Iowa Children's Hospital just beyond the stadium. They just didn't play well in that game, and Iowa played really, really well in that game. And then last year, all of the emotion of the story for Tyler Trent, now the late Tyler Trent, who captured the hearts of an entire country, He's on the sideline that night earlier in the week, didn't even know if he was going to be able to get out of bed and go to the game. He was in hospice at that point. They didn't know if he was going to live to the game. He's there. It's an unbelievably inspirational night. And Purdue plays really, really well. But it's a single game against opponent in which they were favored both times. A 12-point favorite. 12.5-point favorite last year at Purdue. An 18.5-point favorite last year, or the year before, on the road against Iowa. And and again, not necessarily the loss, but the way they lost that caused them to fall in the playoff rankings and ultimately be left out of the playoff. Ryan Day is now the head coach. What, finished off last year as the interim? Started the year as the started the year. That's right, because Urban was suspended at the beginning of the year. First year is the full time head coach at Ohio State. New quarterback Justin Fields going to be the starter as Dwayne Haskins moved on after throwing for almost five thousand yards and fifty touchdowns. What a remarkable season Dwayne Haskins had last year. Yeah, more of a runner though. (laughs) Thanks, Stephen A. J.K. Dobbins is back. He rushed for 1,000 yards last year, but they lost Mike Weber, who went for 954. That backup running back, by the way, Master Teague. Did you say Mr. T? Close. I think even better, though. Master Teague. Master Teague pities the fool. (laughs) They got a linebacker named Tough, too. Let's look at Ohio State's schedule. FAU at home. On Saturday. See how the lane train does it. The horseshoe. What if he's going to do the interview with Dan Patrick again? Did you hear that last year? Uh, they were getting ready to play Oklahoma. And uh, right. Dan asked, you know, you feel like you got a chance on Saturday? This is like Thursday before the game. And Lane Kiffin responds with, Dan, watch them get off the bus and watch us get off the bus. And you tell me if we have a chance on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> he is nothing if not honest. 
So no trouble in week one. A little bit of a rivalry game, at least in the sense that Cincinnati's in the same state in week two. It'll be a huge game for Cincinnati. And Cincinnati is a pretty good team this year. Pretty good football team with Luke Fickle as its head coach. Didn't he do an interim year at Ohio State too? He absolutely he did. did. How about that? When they absolutely wrestle out, yeah. And and then after being the interim head coach, they bring Urban Meyer on, and Urban Meyer makes him the defensive coordinator. He stuck with Ohio State for another two or three years before getting the head coaching job at Cincinnati. Week three, they go to Indiana. Then it's Miami of Ohio, September twenty eighth. That has got night game in Lincoln, Nebraska, written all over it. And I feel like it's become too trendy to say it anymore, but I'm owning this from six weeks ago. Look out. You were the first place I heard it, for whatever that's worth. Michigan State on October 5th, open date. Road game at Northwestern before they host Wisconsin. Maryland and then at Rutgers in the the second and third weeks of November before finishing at home with Penn State and on the road against Michigan. How many is Ohio State losing this year? Zero. Really? No, they'll find a way to blow one like they have the past couple of years. I think Michigan gets them. Ooh. Okay. At some point, Harbaugh's going to beat Ohio State, right? It's like he's always gotten them in the wrong stadium. Like the years his team's really good, they have to go to Columbus. Maybe I'm making that up. I mean, they've lost 14 of 15. Well, not Harbaugh. Michigan. Well, he's lost them all. No, no, I, I got it. I, I get that. I'm just saying, like teams like his better teams, where he probably has the best chance in terms of personnel, they have to go to Columbus. I think in the last five years they could have played Ohio State on the moon, and the result wouldn't have been any different. What about last year? They got in Ann Arbor. smoked. They last got year. beat sixty-two to thirty-nine. Yeah, but sure. Yeah, but if that game's in Ann Arbor, does it go any differently? Thirty-one twenty two years ago, and it, no, it doesn't go any differently last year. I disagree. They got beat by three and a half touchdowns. And Michigan scored a couple late, didn't they? And it wasn't that close. Yeah, but you had that whole weird dynamic with Urban, and then they had to pour pour it on to prove they kind of belong in the college football playoff. I think it would have gone differently. I'm not saying Michigan would have won the game. Maybe the 2016 team that lost in double overtime, if it's at Michigan Stadium instead of in Columbus. Didn't they get jobbed on a spot in overtime? Yeah, that was a kind of a funky... Uh, fourth and one what was a quarterback sneak, and they gave him the first down, but maybe they shouldn't have, but it was not indisputable, so they let it go, and Ohio State scored like three plays later to win the game. Just saying. It seems like his teams with better personnel always have to go to Columbus. But I say you, always. He's only been there, what, five years, 40 yeah, years? Yeah, I mean, do you believe that Michigan has better personnel than Ohio State? No, but I'm saying out of his four or five teams there, the two best have had to go play on the road. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Famous alums from the Ohio State University. Hey, Dad. I hate to do it because it's all athletes, but I'm going with this. I'm going Jesse Owens, Jack Nicholas, and George Steinbrenner. Not an athlete, but in athletics. (sighs) I thought Steinbrenner was a gator. What? George Steinbrenner's a big donor at... uh... University of Florida. John Havlicek. Bull Gator. Uh, Clark No Kellogg. Boston Celtics will be uh, considered. Hold on, hold, on, hold on a second. Give me the three again. Jesse Owens, Jack Nicholas, and George Steinbrenner. 
The only two-time Heisman Trophy winner doesn't make your list? I'm not going to go just a straight football player. He didn't do anything in the NFL. John Kasich. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Ohio State, team number three on the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days. Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Rob Fisher joins us from the Bluff City. Rob, I'm sticking with a theme from earlier today. By the way, I appreciate you spending a few minutes with this afternoon. What's the worst job you've ever had? Wow. Uh, worst job I ever had. It was my, probably my first job. I was the, I cleaned dishes at a meat market and oh. it was a, it was a neighborhood meat market and cleaning dishes involved a lot of blood from the meat so this was and like full-on cow slaughter stuff right <laughs> and the worst part was during deer season they basically hung all the deer in the kitchen and there was a time when i was doing dishes and i felt something tapped me in the back and I turned around and when I turned around there was a deer face right in my face it was dead but it was still terrified and just not being around me was gross it was uh yeah it was awful was that your last day on the job <laughs> no no unfortunately one of my last days on the job was when I got stung by a bee in the kitchen and it made my neck swell up not a lot of good things happen at the old meat market. The old meat market. So was this in like the greater St. Louis area? Yeah, it was in St. Louis. It was called Kenrick's Meat Market. They actually sponsored our Little League baseball team. So something good, I guess, did come out of the meat market. But, yeah, it was uh, it was close to the house. I could walk up there, and uh, it was it was just, I don't know. It was it was your first job as a kid where you got to make a little money to, to get some stuff, get some baseball cards at the store. So it was... Uh, it got put a little change in my pocket, but it was, uh, yeah, it wasn't fun. I didn't enjoy it. And probably the other one was after my first radio job when I was 19 years old, the station went under, and luckily another station started, but there was a two-month period where I was out of a job and I worked at a shoe store, and they had to try shoes on for people, and I didn't enjoy that very much because, you know me, I enjoy my shoes. I don't like putting them on other people. I was going to say, you're shoe guy, so that kind of fits, but I understand, yeah. But it was like so, athletic shoes, too, so it wasn't. It wasn't it's that. Kind of Al Bundy of you, though. Yeah, and they always send in secret shoppers to see if you were doing your job right, and I was always just tired and lazy and hungover, so I, I wasn't very good with the secret <laughs> shoppers. <laughs> Rob Fisher, who is the uh, sideline pre- and post-game host of the Memphis Grizzlies. He's also got a college football podcast. You can follow him on Twitter, at the Fish Nation. So we get college football back last weekend, and for lots of reasons, Florida and Miami was great and glorious, but it was almost like the game was just kind of gloriously bad. Did you have a uh, particularly hot overreaction to Game 1 for those two teams? No, I didn't. I'm actually, I guess my hot overreaction is everybody needs to calm down a little bit with their overreactions. I think, you know, you see a lot of teams like Tennessee playing Georgia State this week, and you see Alabama playing Duke, and you see a lot of mismatches. Clemson playing Georgia Tech, a lot of mismatches, a lot of big lines in week one, and that's because you don't have a preseason. You try to 
you try to work out some of your problems in week one. But when you got Florida taking on Miami, I mean, you're going to have problems and it's going to look really sloppy. I, I mean, to me, for how much, for how much, you know, Felipe Franks has taken from the media this week, if that's his worst, I don't think it was that bad. And, you know, Florida's got a week off now this week, and then they got Tennessee State. You know, let's see how they look against Tennessee State, and they come back and they fix some of their problems. A lot of horrible defensive penalties, especially late in that football game. Franks yeah. with some inexcusable turnovers, although one inexcusable turnover I put on Dan Mullen, which I don't know why you're throwing the ball in that situation late in that ball game. Didn't so, you love the head ball I, coach's I, reaction to that? Yes, it was fantastic. And, I mean, we're going to see that probably for the remainder of the year, that reaction from him. So I, I, I think there's just a little overreaction. People who are thinking now that Florida's not a 10-win team, that Florida can't contend with Georgia, I think you're overreacting to week one a little bit too much because you see this a lot in week one of football. You buy into the idea that Georgia and Florida are on the same level and Florida can contend with Georgia this year? I don't know if they're on the same level, but I think it could come down to one game. And if it comes down to one game being that rivalry game and being the cocktail party, yeah, I think they got a shot because I think Florida, you know, that would still allow them to have a loss, that LSU being the one that stands out to me. But other than that, I think their schedule's rather favorable for them. Um, so, you know, if, if they can knock off Georgia, yeah, I, I think they could be a contender in the East. I don't and, know and if the, they're as good as Georgia, but you win that one game, and we've seen weird things happen in that game. I think they got a shot. Yeah, sure. That's, that certainly is, is true. The thing that I took away from that game, you know, you think Dan Mullen, you're thinking offensive teams. And Florida may end up being a pretty good offensive team when it's all said and done. But yeah. Todd Grantham calling plays for that defense, they're scary. I mean, 10 sacks. I mean, this was against yeah. Miami. It wasn't against UT Martin, who they've got on September right. 7th. It was against Miami. Right, exactly. And and I think that's that's what you take away from positive if you're a Florida fan. I think the other thing you take away from positive as a Florida fan is you didn't run the ball very well. And they got a good running back in Pirine. And, you know, Franks can put the ball – well, he put the ball on the ground, unfortunately, when, when yeah. he did have it. But uh, he, he can scramble a little bit back there. So they should have a much better running game than they saw in week one. Their defense is going to be good. They shouldn't be as – uh, shouldn't have as much of a lack of discipline as the year goes on. I think it's a team that's going to get a lot better as the season goes on. Let's talk Memphis and Ole Miss. 11 a.m. kickoff, ABC, Saturday morning at the Liberty Bowl. Not sure exactly what the crowd's going to be like. It's not going to be completely full, but probably a decent crowd. What's the buzz in Memphis about this game? In Memphis, is a huge buzz. I mean, you know, for Memphis, this is a big rivalry game. For Memphis, this is the biggest game on the schedule. For Memphis, this is your Super Bowl. I mean, this is this is everything. You're playing a team from the SEC. You're hosting them. You see what's happened to Ole Miss the last few years. This is an opportunity. This is a big chance to get a good win to start your season before you head into conference play. And, you know, a loss to Ole Miss means, all right, well, you lost to a team that's probably going to be in the bottom two of the SEC West. You know, how good of a loss is that for you? It's not. And Memphis has struggled in the past against FBS opponents. They're not very good. Three and uh three and twenty nine against SEC teams, four and twenty four their last twenty eight against Power Five. So this would be a big win for them. And 
you know, would make them feel pretty good about themselves. I, I think there's a lot of hype here. And, and like I said, it's looked at as a big rivalry. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of excitement and, and a lot of confidence coming out of Memphis. You said 4-24 in the last 28, I guess, against the Power Five. One of those was against UCLA a couple of years ago. I, I think that's probably the crown jewel win for Mike Norvell. And, and yet he's looked at pretty uh, as a, a big-time offensive mind. Does it surprise you that he has not had the opportunity, given the number of jobs that have come open after each of the last couple of seasons, to slide into a Power Five spot? A little bit. I, I mean, I I think if he was really searching, he could have found something. But I think Mike Norvell's pretty happy with the job that he's got. And, you know, I think it, it's not at a point yet where he feels like there's nothing else he can do because they have fallen short of winning the AAC championship a couple of times to Central Florida. So, I mean, I think there's still more he wants to accomplish. But, you know, coaches in that conference get to a point where, you can win the conference. You could even go undefeated. And then what? You know, then then you start getting to that point where maybe you start really looking for something outside because you just can't go any further. You, you don't get the opportunity of being a team that can play for a national championship or being a team that can play in a playoff. And then all of a sudden it starts to become a little annoying for you. So I, I think he still feels like there's more to accomplish. I think uh, he's building something very strong at the University of Memphis, and he's excited to, to still be here. And I think we'll continue to be here until, um, you know, until he gets to that point where there's nothing else to accomplish, unless yeah. unless a dream job of sorts would come open for him. Rob, last thing, less than a minute left. I asked uh, Jonah Jordan from the Daily uh, Daily Memphian this earlier. Give me biggest key for Memphis if they're going to win, and if you look at it from the Ole Miss perspective, biggest key for the Rebels to pull off a win. Well, I think for Ole Miss, it's, it's run the football and run it down Memphis's throat, and I think they'll have the ability to do that. Memphis has given up a, a lot of yards uh, over the last couple of years defensively, and when they allow 200 yards rushing, how about being 3-32 and 32 since 2008? And uh, 11 of their last 16 losses have come when they've allowed 200 yards rushing. So I think for Ole Miss, it's to establish a run game. For Memphis, it's not turn the ball over. And Brady White, for all his inefficiencies, that's one thing he's done very well at quarterback for Memphis, is con- you know keep control of the football, not put the ball on the ground, not throw interceptions. And if they can do that, if Memphis can hold on to the ball and control the ball and control their, round, their ground game a little bit uh, with Patrick Taylor, I think Memphis has a good chance. So I, I think turnovers for Memphis, and I think for Ole Miss, it's they establish that running game and make Scotty Phillips run him loose all day, all day. Always enjoy it, my friend. We'll talk to you soon. Always a pleasure, Richard. Thanks, man. Rob Fisher at the Fish Nation on Twitter, sideline reporter, pre and post game for the Memphis Grizzlies, and uh, college football podcast with uh, Grind City Media. We're back after this with you in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Pick me up from the bottom up to the top. Mississippi with you. 
Glad to have you along this afternoon. C Spire text line is open, 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. Prepaid by C Spire is going big for back to school with special deals, including a light new iPhone 6S for just $49 and a daily $500 giveaway. Learn more at cspire.com slash prepaid cspire customer inspired i'm gonna try to get through this without my blood pressure skyrocketing and saying something that the fcc but more importantly my bosses would not like when you first heard about this months ago let me try to let me try to recap let me tell you a story there's an offensive lineman at Coastal Carolina by the name of Brock Hoffman. And frankly, he's a better football player than Coastal Carolina. But that's where he chose to go to school, and that's where he planned to stay. And then his mother got a non-malignant brain tumor. Her, uh, her condition was called acoustic neuroma. Coastal Carolina, in the lovely greater Myrtle Beach area, about 230 or so miles from his home. And given the rigors of a college athlete, going 230 miles each direction to get home to see his mother, not the easiest thing to do. And that's what, about a four-ish hour drive, three and a half if you're pushing it. And so Brock decided that he wanted to transfer closer to home. Blacksburg, Virginia was closer to home. Turns out Brock's pretty good offensive lineman. And Virginia Tech was more than happy to have him. Come on down, Brock. But he had to go through the transfer process, through the waiver process, because he wanted to play immediately. He wasn't transferring because he hated Myrtle Beach. He didn't like Conway, South Carolina. He was transferring because he wanted to be closer to his mother, who was dealing with acoustic neuroma. Blacksburg, Virginia, is 103 miles from Brock's hometown. Red flag number one, can't get an immediate waiver if you're moving to a place where you're more than 100 miles outside. Never mind that it's three miles, that you could walk the three miles in 40 minutes to make up the difference. It was three miles, and certainly we know the NCAA is inflexible when it comes to its rules. The NCAA initially denied Brock Hoffman immediate eligibility. And he, along with his parents, have gone through the waiver process. It's been a five-month process. The Hoffman family has provided detailed medical information, detailed financial information, multiple notes from doctors about the ongoing struggles that Mrs. Hoffman has in the aftermath of the removal of her tumor including partial facial paralysis 
among other things. And so we get this story today from Roanoke.com, Roanoke, Virginia. Here's the lead to the story. Why didn't your wife retire? The question represented a new low point for Brian Hoffman, that's Brock's father, and his wife Stephanie, after the family spent months gathering documentation for the NCAA to help their son Brock gain immediate eligibility at Virginia Tech. That five-month process ended yesterday afternoon when the NCAA denied Hoffman's final waiver appeal. means Brock Hoffman will sit out this season. Brian Hoffman, the father, says the NCAA's process is horrible. It's just wrong. In responding to the question that the NCAA asked, why didn't your wife just retire, Brian Hoffman responded to them, we have almost a million dollars of medical bills. She's a teacher and doesn't have enough years to get full pay from her pension. We simply couldn't afford it. So Brock Hoffman, who since the time he has ended up on the Virginia Tech campus, has gone home 8 of 12 weekends. It's 103 miles. It's about an hour and a half drive. You can finish practice, you can jump in the car, and an hour and a half later you can be home. Got a meeting that night, you can spend a couple of hours with mom, jump in the car, hour and a half, you're back on campus. Driving an hour and a half is vastly different from three and a half or four hours. We all know that. We've all made that drive. An hour and a half is not a big deal. Jump in the car and you go. Four hours, you got to do a little more planning. That's eight hours round trip. Just doesn't work. But let's set that aside for a second. This young man, who happens to be good at football was told by the NCAA, you cannot be immediately eligible based on moving closer to your mother who had a brain tumor. Because she's doing fine. Her life's not in jeopardy. Yeah, we know that her face is partially paralyzed and there are other health issues that go along with it. But she's not going to die. So no, you're not immediately eligible. Meanwhile... Justin Fields isn't going to win the starting job at Georgia. So he conveniently points to the guy that called him a racial slur from 150 yards away in the Georgia student section at a football game because he doesn't feel safe. And the NCAA doesn't want to be called racists. So of course they approve his eligibility immediately to go be the starting quarterback at Ohio State. Tate Martell doesn't want to lose the quarterback job for the second time at Ohio State when Justin Fields transfers in, and even on Twitter encourages Fields not to come and make the second mistake of his pro or his college career. He hightails it out and goes to Miami and claims, my circumstances changed because my coach was a scumbag. Urban Myers, who we're talking about. Guess what? He's immediately eligible at the University of Miami. Never mind that he doesn't win the starting job. Rewind a year. Shea Patterson. Van Jefferson. 
the the the, the kid that's uh, playing wide receiver at UCF now. Who was at Ole Miss as well? All get immediate eligibility. Why? Why do they all get immediate eligibility? Well, their circumstances changed, and the NCAA conveniently put rules in that allowed you to transfer when your circumstances dramatically changed, when the well-being is different. Let me tell you what changing circumstances are. When you're 230 miles from home and your mother has a brain tumor, that's a change in circumstances. Your head coach calling hookers or whatever, massages, that's a bum deal. Not being able to get to a bowl game for another year, that's a bum deal. A circumstance change is when your mother has a brain tumor. I just want to know when the university presidents are going to decide that they've had enough of this ridiculous sham of an organization who arbitrarily makes rules and then changes the rules when it fits them, who drags a kid and his family through a five-month waiver process and then has the gall to say to a father and a husband who's been helping his wife with a brain tumor, has the gall to say, why didn't your wife just quit her job? Well, Mr. NCAA man, because we don't live in the same ivory palace you do. We don't just get to change the rules to suit us. We've got a million dollars worth of medical bills to pay, and she's operating on a teacher's salary. And so, yes, while her face is partially paralyzed, and yes, she, we think, is going to heal, we don't have the option of her not working anymore. Nah, that's not a good enough reason there, Dad. Your son's still going to have to sit out. Sorry. But everybody else can play. Unless it doesn't really fit what the NCAA is trying to do. Unless they realize that they can't get the toothpaste back in the tube. The NCAA makes FIFA look like a charity volunteer organization. FIFA might be the most corrupt organization in sports globally, but it's running a distant second to the crooks at the NCAA. JT Show will be live at Trigger Time Indoor Shooting Range tomorrow, kicking off Mississippi's Second Amendment Tax-Free Weekend. There will be special financing for this weekend with lots of great deals throughout the store. That's JT live tomorrow from Trigger uh, Trigger Time, 120 Air Park Road in Tupelo. That's from 10 to 1. Then from 3 to 6, we will be at the Sportsbook, the Pearl River Resort's Golden Moon Casino tomorrow for the kickoff of the college football season. Grab a snack, place a wager on your favorite team, and download the new Pearl River Resort Sportsbook app. It's the first and only sports betting app in Mississippi. That's Sports Talk tomorrow at the Sportsbook at Pearl River Resort's Golden Moon Casino. uh, Over 20 big screen TVs, plenty of food. You won't miss a second of the action. And then on Friday, you can catch Sports Talk at the uh, Chancellor's House Hotel in Oxford as we kick off again the college football season. Sports Talk, Chancellor's House, on the square in Oxford. Come see us on Friday afternoon. 
Ceasefire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395. Spence offered to give me a man hug. He says the NCAA has been a joke for years. Love the show. Keep preaching. Thanks, Spence. CJ says uh, we need to blast whatever we can of uh, what I said about the NCAA. I'll just send it straight to Indianapolis. They're send it via carrier pigeon. That's about the speed they operate. If you want to uh, get them somewhere. Uh, we're glad to be with you this afternoon. You want to be a part of the conversation again, you can text us on the C Spire text line. You can also send a message to the Sports Talk Mississippi Twitter feed at Sports Talk M-I-S-S. Um, blood pressure's down, Borky. Oh, but that was really good. And as you mentioned, this one is, it should be the straw that broke the camel's back. It's absurdity. And I, I don't know how the people that make decisions in college athletics can sit by and let something like this happen. The name of the organization is to protect the student-athletes, right? To preserve student-athletes. They're guardians of the game or whatever they want to call themselves. And yet here is somebody with an actual problem documented issue that requires him to go somewhere else. Look, the NCAA is going to have to make unpopular decisions. They're going to have to. That, that's just part of being the governing body. Sometimes you have to make grown-up adult decisions that are not going to be popular. The problem is they screw up so much of the easy stuff, the, the layups and the slam dunks, where they could make themselves out to be a little more likable and actually about helping student-athletes and helping their member institutions and the games and, and do the common-sense thing and the right thing, and they could improve their reputation a lot and, and, and then wouldn't get beat up for the difficult decisions that they have to make. But when, but when you're just stupid all the time, how do you expect to be looked at? How do you expect to be talked to? I would tell you what I'd like to see. I'd like to see Justin Fuente, who's the head coach at Virginia Tech, stand up. When he wraps up practice today, yeah, he's going to take questions and they're going to talk about their starting quarterback and this, that, and the other. And then every, all the media people start to walk away and he go, hey guys, one more thing. And then I'd like to hear Justin Fuente just go scorched earth and say, look, I make $3.5 million a year. They can find me, and I don't give a flip. But what they did to this kid is wrong. And what they're doing all over the country is wrong. How about a head coach or a university president or an athletics director stand up and say that? I had the same thought earlier today when I've read this, but like when you call stupid people stupid, the stupid person doesn't usually react very well, and it doesn't actually help the situation. But the situation well, can it get any now? worse. Yeah, I guess that's also a fair point. Can't get any worse. But like, I mean, what are they going to do? Ever... Go launch an investigation into in Virginia Tech for? I mean, they're vindictive. Yeah, but like, I don't know if there's any chance that like they might reverse it. And like, actually, this is dumb. Well, the football coach just called us a bunch of bumbling idiots. Well, you know what? You've made your decision, and that's fine. Look, I agree. I'm just saying. Like, I thought the same thing, and I was like, well, generally, if you call someone stupid, that's stupid. They don't handle it well. It, it, it's almost like I really. 
really wish that this had happened to a kid trying to transfer to Alabama. Not not because I wish any ill will against Alabama. It has nothing to do with that. I'd like to see Nick Saban go on one of his scorched earth diatribes standing behind that Coke bottle with that same sweater that he's worn for the last six years and just go scorched earth on Mark Emmert. Would it happen if the kid was trying to go to Alabama? Probably not. I mean, that's part of the problem. But, but that's what I'm saying. I wish it would happen at Alabama or at Clemson and let Dabo step behind the pulpit and, and go to preaching for about 12 minutes. Those are the two guys that could really get traction with something like that. The NCAA doesn't care what some guy on the radio in Mississippi says, but if Nick Saban, that's the lead on SportsCenter. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm, rolling with you into the 5 o'clock hour. Time right now for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix, driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. The Hurry Up and Save sales event is coming to an end soon. You've got until September 3rd to save big money on your favorite car, truck, or SUV from your local Mississippi Ford dealer. Stop by and test drive one today. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team and talk to Kevin Foote, who is in Lafayette, writes for The Advocate. You can follow him on Twitter at foot with an E, note. That's clever. Kevin, what's up, man? How are you? Good, sir. How are you? Doing well. Appreciate a little bit of your time this afternoon, getting close to the season opener Mississippi State and uh, the Raging Cajuns on Saturday morning in the Dome. Let's start with crowd. I know some of the uh, the reports have come out that not a ton of tickets have been sold. Is this going to be one of those games that has a big walk-up crowd and we end up with a pretty good environment? Well, um, you know, the Cajuns are certainly hoping that's the case, no matter, no matter who it is. Obviously, the Cajuns have a very good history of traveling to the Superdome. The early ticket sales don't seem to suggest that, so hopefully that means a big crowd, and obviously they're hoping plenty of people from Mississippi come as well. What's the level of excitement among Louisiana fans? You'll have to forgive me. I'm, I'm doing my best to call say Louisiana, not Louisiana Lafayette. It's a battle. I got you. Um, what's the level of excitement, though, among Louisiana fans about this game opening the season with an SEC team? Well, you know, the real, you know, I think the excitement about the program and the direction that Billy Napier is taking it is very high. I think the people who are like the big booster insiders are probably a little upset at the financial arrangements of this game, you know, because, you know, that came from a previous administration. But, um, but no, I think there's always excitement when you play a team from a Power Five league. And I think they feel like the Cajuns are better. There's no doubt on paper they're better than last year and that they should compete better. So I think there's a, there, it's, it, I don't think there's a sense here that, you know, last year when they played Mississippi State and last year when they played, obviously anybody plays Alabama from a non Power Five, you know, feels like it's a, an unwinnable game. I don't feel like the sense is that they feel like it's unwinnable, so there, there's kind of some hope there. 
Walk me through the financial setup for this ball game. You you mentioned that there were some boosters that were frustrated with the the deal that was struck. Kind of explain uh, to our listeners what the financial setup is for this game. Well, they're, they're, you know they signed a two year deal three years ago. The first game was played last year in Starkville, November the third or somewhere right in there, and obviously that was a normal home game. And this is a game where it's technically the Cajuns' home game, and obviously not too many SEC schools play uh, home and home, and so that that's how they were able with a Sun Belt school, maybe a two for one, but not a home for home. So the Cajuns' home game technically would, would, is is this game Saturday. But in that home game, it's not a true home game. The Cajuns incur all the expenses, but the Cajuns get 57% of the um, um, net revenue from ticket sales. Mississippi State, even though they don't really have any financial, you know, burden of, you know, they don't have to make any arrangements with this, they get 43% of the net revenue from ticket sales. So it's a pretty good deal for Mississippi State, and some people are thinking here that might be too big of a deal. Now, it's it's fine if you get 30-something thousand people in there or 40,000 yeah. people in there, but if they only get, you know, between 15 and 20, which I'm thinking it's going to be better than that, then they could come out, you know, in the hole here. Do you know what the expenses related to basically renting the dome, using the dome for well, a game? Well, I'd be totally guessing. I know from a high school standpoint, because I cover a lot of high school here, you know, it. they really, you know, we're in this, I don't know how Mississippi is, but it, we're in the middle of a big split here, and one of the big things is how expensive it is for the dome. But I don't really know what the number is, no. Yeah. Well, uh, I would imagine that it's not uh, not inexpensive to uh, no, to not, do that. No, not cheap. Absolutely not. So you, you mentioned the game a year ago uh, against Mississippi State, and obviously Mississippi State handled that one well. They went at fifty six to ten. This is a little bit different defense, though. Three first round draft picks gone from a season ago, and a raging Cajun team that ran the ball pretty well last year, nearly 3,000 yards rushing uh, kind of as a team, top three rushers back from a season ago. How important is that going to be for Billy Napier to to try to establish the run relatively early in this game? Well, I I, I think it's crucial. The thing that that from a UL perspective that they took out of last year's game, especially on the defensive side, is they got Mississippi State to third down a lot in that game, but they were just completely defenseless on third down. I mean, they I even think they converted like a third and twenty something in that game. I mean, every time Mississippi State got to third down, they converted with ease, even though on first and second down it wasn't always the case. But the Cajuns run look, the Cajuns ran the ball and I know it was uh, you know you could say it's against backups, but it's still UL versus Al. Cajuns ran the ball well against Alabama last year. And, you know, they, they can run the football. The question is, can they throw it? And, yeah, it's a, you know, they have an offensive line that uh, one national magazine ranked them eighth in the country. I mean, a uh, running back core, one national magazine ranked them eighth in the country. They have an offensive line that one national magazine ranked them 15th in the country in the preseason. And, and whether, however true that is, it's still a good reflection on they have four returning starting seniors on the offensive line. It was very good, and they really do have uh, an outstanding running back course. So I think they can run it. The question is, will they be able to throw it? Mississippi State, obviously a big favorite in, in this ballgame. So let's set this opener aside j- just for a second and kind of look at the, the rest of the schedule. Liberty in Week 2, uh, the road trip to Arkansas State in mid-October, uh, obviously Sunbelt Conference play. What is the expectation in year two 
kind of overall for, for Billy Napier in this club? Well, I think the expectation would be they kind of got a little break last year in that they were able to lose three conference games and still tie for first and win the tiebreaker and won the West and played in the inaugural uh, Sunbelt Conference championship game. I don't think three losses is going to get you in that game again this year. Um, what, what's tough about it from their perspective is that Arkansas State's the other team that most people feel like they'll be competing with for that division title in the West. Arkansas State plays the game this year in Jonesboro, so the Canes have to travel to Jonesboro. The home team typically wins that game, and Arkansas State does not have to play Appalachian State, which on paper is the best team in the conference. So, And the Cajuns do have to play Appalachian State, so they kind of have a little bit of a scheduling thing there. But I, I think the expectation is uh, I think most people – Cajun fans would say to win seven, and if they can, the ball can go their way, try to get to eight wins, and hopefully that's good enough to get back in the finals against Troy or App State or whoever that would be. Kevin, no, we're all excited about the start of the college football season. Really appreciate uh, you taking a few minutes with us and uh, giving us a little Cajun perspective on this ball game on Saturday morning. Look forward to uh, maybe catching up with you down the line. Absolutely. Thank you very much. That is Kevin Foote writes for The Advocate, Acadiana style, there in uh, in Lafayette, covering uh, Louisiana Lafayette, sorry, UL, and uh, high school sports and a lot of other things. Joining us on the uh, Farm Bureau phone line, again, check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Mississippi State, a 20-point favorite in the game. It's not as big a line as you see for some of the early Week 1 SEC games. But the Bulldogs are basically a three-touchdown favorite. That's pretty convincing. Porky, I, I know Haydad had to, to step away, but there's a lot returning on this Cajun football team. But again, they played last year, and it was a 46-point margin. Yeah, and I keep thinking about, well, you know, Mississippi State's replacing a lot uh, on the defensive front. And, uh, I mean... Jeffrey Simmons and Montez Sweat aren't the only two guys they lost either. I mean, it's an entire rotation that they lost up front. And, you know, you look at ULL and you, Louisiana, and you see five redshirt seniors on the offensive line. You see three running backs that combined for 3,000 yards a year ago. Their worst rusher in yards per carry average was 5.7. I mean, these guys are really good stable of running backs and a couple of them do different things so it's not like it's the same guy three different ways it's uh, they have multiple different skill sets and you want to think that you know if Mississippi State struggles with their rotation up front early and they're trying to mix and match guys and can't figure it out that maybe this game can get interesting but it's hard to ignore what happened last year and the fact that Mississippi State still has a linebacker core if they're all eligible for the game Saturday that is one of the better ones in the league and it's just hard to imagine this thing could get like the ceiling for this game to me for Louisiana would be to make it interesting for like a quarter and a half but that's about it because the talent gap is just too wide for it to be anything more than that yeah I tend to agree with you and for that reason I I, I kind of feel like the number on the game is a little out of whack that that 20 probably isn't a big enough number that i mean that feels like a number unless things go drastically wrong that mississippi state covers with relative ease makes you wonder if it's 
does Vegas know something we don't? Or I feel like Vegas doesn't know as much early in the year as they do late in the year. Sports Talk Mississippi. Appreciate Kevin Foote joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. We're back after this in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Sports Talk Mississippi back with you on this Wednesday afternoon. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing and refinancing land for over 100 years. You go to their website, you can find a branch location near you, or you can grab the phone number and give them a call if you are in North Mississippi. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Let's kind of do some news and notes from college football. A good story coming out of Knoxville. Tennessee got a big boost earlier today when doctors cleared star left tackle Trey Smith to play in the Vols opener against Georgia State. Here's a quote. My family and I consulted with several of the best doctors in the country, and a plan has been developed that allows me to compete with my teammates on game day. My family and I are confident in that plan. Coaches and staff here at Tennessee have always had my best interest at heart, and I can't thank them enough. Thanks to all the fans and my teammates for all their support. Um, Blood clot issues. Freshman All-American two years ago. Started the first seven games of last season before being shut down for the year due to ongoing blood clots. He was temporarily hospitalized in October and the clots have been a continuous issue for him in the ensuing 10 months. However, given the nature of the blood clots and the cautious language in the announcement today, it sounds like this is still going to be something they have to monitor really closely. Um, no way Trey Smith, given the... Kind of the, what am I trying to say? Given the amount of coverage that this story has had, there's no way Trey Smith is cleared if they don't feel 100% certain that it's safe for him to play. Just period. And that's, you know, from, from team doctors to Jeremy Pruitt to Phil Fulmer to the president of the university, there's no way... They sign off on him playing. And, and I know, I know, sometimes we go, ah, just rub some dirt on it. We're not talking about rub some dirt on it. We're talking about blood clots. And blood clots are scary because if they break loose, and i got to be careful because I'm not trying to sound like a doctor here. My understanding is if a blood clot breaks loose and goes to your heart, then bad news. It could be fatal. Like, game over. Yeah. Yeah. So, for him to be cleared and to have multiple top medical professionals from around the country sign off on a plan where they're going to closely monitor him and keep an eye on it, one, good for him. And second, that's a big deal for Tennessee. That's now a couple of five-star offensive linemen that have been added in just a couple of days. So Trey Smith joins, what was it, Aubrey Solomon, who had a waiver approved, making him immediately eligible. How about that? 
Mm. Michigan transfer Aubrey Solomon immediately eligible at Tennessee. That was the story from yesterday. Um, Aubrey Solomon has been granted an immediate eligibility waiver that will allow the defensive lineman to play for Tennessee in 2019. Hmm. I'm still kind of buying on Tennessee. It's probably going to end up being a stupid thing, and people are going to make fun of me by the end of the season, but there's just... There's enough there at the quarterback position and enough there in the running game. And as you mentioned, the offensive line seems to have been shored up. Uh, a few weeks ago, there was a talk of them having a six-man rotation. And that's it, up front. And that has changed since then. There's enough proven offensively that they should be able to score on some people. And they're not beating Alabama. They're not beating Georgia. But they could sneak up and beat somebody. I, I keep saying this. Mississippi State going to Knoxville, there are a lot of people that are just putting a W next to that game, that Mississippi State's just going to go to Knoxville and beat Tennessee. Careful doing that, because that is that is one of those games where you can look up and Tennessee just surprises people and beats somebody there, air quotes, not supposed to, on a given Saturday. Yeah. Just kind of scrolling through these eligibility stories. I mean, we obviously talked about uh, the young man from Coastal Carolina that's tra- uh, transferred to um, Virginia Tech and is going to have to sit down, sit out this week. And you get the, okay, Aubrey Solomon cleared at Tennessee. Alabama transfer Kedrick James denied immediate eligibility at SMU. Michigan transfer Oliver Martin eligible to play for Iowa in 2019. NCAA reverses course, grants immediate eligibility waiver to Michigan transfer Miles Sims at Georgia Tech. So they can reverse course. Apparently. When they want to. I don't, so when is, it benefits them. Is there, are there human? This sounds like a stupid question, but are there humans in the room? Because like with the, the, the kid with the mom with the brain tumor, how does a group of adults like sit in a room and be like... Well, they don't talk, for one thing. The entire waiver process is print-based. There is no conversation. There was no opportunity for the family to sit down and explain its situation. I don't even mean family. Just the people Anybody. involved in... Like, who who decides it then? There were, There's a committee or something. It's not a robot. Well, no, the NCAA decides it based on the paper trail. I'm talking about human beings with, like, organs and stuff. Who are the human beings that decided? I do not know the answer to that. Well, how did those people sit in a room or wherever it is decided and be like, this is a good idea? That's what it boils down to. Yeah, I stand behind this decision, and here's why. I would love to yeah, hear exactly. that. Yeah, exactly. Like, I would love to meet that guy or girl. No, or I, I really don't. I don't think you would. No, I would. I think whatever faith we have left in the human race would just kind of go on out the door. But they can't be. They, but, but they can, and they are, and the evidence is there. Now, I, I don't know the details of all of these waivers that are granted or not granted. I mean, the, the, the kid from Alabama that was trying to transfer and be immediately eligible to SMU, there was some NCAA rule or suspension or something at the end of the last season. But everybody talks in vague vagaries with regard to this. Nobody wants to come out and just go on the record and say, here's the deal. He got suspended in his last game at Alabama last year for X, and as a result, we're not granting him immediate eligibility. 
This kid's got a sick mom. We're giving him eligibility. Why? Because it makes sense, because it's the right thing to do. Yesterday must have been like transfer waiver day also, where they just went through a big batch of approve, disapprove, approve, approve, disapprove, 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 approve. And just toss them up in the air and see what happens. Flip a coin. But, I mean, I think your point's a good one, Rippy. There have to be live, normally functioning, functioning, oxygen-breathing, blood-pumping-through-veins, heart-intact people making these decisions. How is it possible that you take people who have no common sense, who probably all have like an impressive uh, like brag wall in their office, right? With their undergraduate degree from X and their master's degree from here and their doctorate in whatever from here. Talking about nerds. There's a lot of dot .edu guy going on there. Six degrees, little people skills. I, I, I guess because how do you have the not have the ability to look at the world in a rational, humanistic way? Probably what it boils down to is it not. I guess. Um. Nick Saban says Dylan Moses underwent surgery today for that unspecified knee injury. Officially, Dylan Moses, the inside linebacker for Alabama, will be sidelined indefinitely because of the injury and the subsequent rehab. Um, Matt Zenitz reporting that Dylan Moses has a torn ACL, that that happened during last night's practice. So Nick Saban hasn't said torn ACL we can generally all jump to that conclusion. So he's out for the year. Second Alabama inside linebacker to be out for the year. They will start a pair of true freshmen at inside linebacker. And the backup for McMillan, who's been out for a while, is a sophomore. They are going to be young in the middle of that front seven at Alabama. Those are some of your college football notes. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.